We're going to be this morning in, uh, in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. I just want to remind you kind of where we started last week or, or the, of the general concept, which is this. The concept, the idea is, is that we were made to be on mission. We were made to tell the world about the greatness of God. We, the, the, the idea is we're walking into, into fall. We're walking into a time which naturally, especially, I don't know, uh, I'm a native Michigander, I've been here all my life, but in Michigan, when, when we transition from summer to fall and the leaves uh, fall off the tree and autumn comes, it's a lot of times a time of new beginnings for, for people who live here. And one of those things about new beginnings is they're often open to hearing, uh, people are often open to hearing new things, to making new changes in their life, trying new things. And so it becomes uh, kind of built into the Michigan calendar or built into the Michigan, uh, the Michigan uh, seasons, a, a time where it can be very effective to go to your friends, your family, people you know who don't know Jesus, have not met him, and, and to share Jesus with them. And so we recognizing that we don't do a lot of, um, lot of event-based outreach. We don't do a lot of stuff where, uh, where we're inviting people in. Predominantly, we want to reach people as neighbors who reach neighbors. But we, we decided to provide for uh, all of us kind of a kickoff, which will be on the week following the, uh, the um, combined service. So uh, I believe that's the 17th of September. We wanted to provide a way... That would be simple for you to go to, to friends, family, other people you know and say, hey, would you like to come uh, to church? We're doing a kickoff. We're going to have uh, food afterwards, and we're going to start a series on, um, on kind of new beginnings in life. And so that's sort of the background thought. But the deeper thought is this, is that as followers of Jesus, we all have a calling. We all have a responsibility to be about the mission, and that mission is to share the good news about Jesus. And so Last week, we, we talked about that from the perspective of what was our, our motivation? What is, why are we on mission? And we talked about how the predominant reason we're on mission is because God is glorious and he deserves to be praised. He deserves glory. He deserves us to tell others about him because he's good and how God's intrinsic value. In other words, God is great and valuable just because he is. Uh, God deserves to be declared good. And we talked about how, how we understand the intrinsic value of, of our children. We understand, hopefully, the intrinsic value of our, of our spouse. We understand this, this kind of intrinsic value. So we speak often of the goodness of our children without fear and without, without shame. We hopefully do the same with our, with our spouse. We talk about how awesome they are and how amazing they are. Hopefully that happens, but somehow when it comes to God, we sometimes, uh, we, 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 we put God into a different category and we get afraid to talk about his, his goodness. But we reminded you last week that God, because he is who he is, is intrinsically or on his own good and he deserves to be declared. So our application from last week was to grow in mission you must grow into Jesus. As you value him more, you'll talk of him more, you'll speak of him more, you'll share him more because he deserves the glory. And so this week we're going to build on that concept from Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through 4. It says this, Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word 
to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. See, Apostle Paul writing to the church, uh, to the Colossian church, and saying, hey, I need you guys to pray for me. What does he need them to pray for? He says, devote yourselves to prayer and stay alert in it with thanksgiving. And so the first uh, kind of phrase or the first point I want to give you is that for, for Paul, when he's writing to the Colossian church, when he's going to give, is about to talk to them about mission and how they can be on mission, uh, both with him and, bo- and also how they can pray for his mission, he tells them to pray and to stay alert. This builds on what we said last week. The, the key application last week was if you want to grow in your desire and grow in mission in, in sharing Jesus, you've got to know Jesus more and more. And the more you know him, the more you love him. And the more you love him, the more you'll naturally speak of him. Paul here begins with prayer and says, devote yourselves to prayer Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. The, the, this, this piggybacks on the idea from last week that God's glory is intrinsic. He is naturally worthy. This piggybacks on that idea that, that we should devote ourselves to prayer. We often think of, of prayer predominantly in terms of requests. In other, in other words, uh, we often pray when we get into trouble or when someone close to us gets into trouble, which uh, is appropriate but is not the only Point of prayer. So when when great aunt Mabel is sick, we pray for her. When uh, when our children are rebellious, we might pray about that. Uh, teenagers who are in school and have a test that they didn't pray for usually pray about that. Lord, please supernaturally give me the answers to this test that I did not prepare for. Uh, bad news, guys. I don't think that works. Um, but that is we, how we think of prayer. That's not how Paul first casts prayer here. He'll get into the concept of making requests. But the idea of prayer here is that we come to God, we devote ourselves to prayer, and we stay alert in it with thanksgiving. So we, we stay alert. In other words, when we pray, it helps us to see the world as God sees the world. It helps us to communicate and commune with God as we should. And also, we're in prayer with thanksgiving. So if we're living a, a, a thankful lifestyle, if, if we're continually thanking God for his goodness, which, by the way, even in the worst of times, even in the worst of experiences, even in the worst of situations, we should be doing. God is good. God, even when you're going through struggle, his goodness is not diminished. You might not understand why you're going through it, but the goodness of God is not diminished. We should regularly be thanking him for what he has done. And in the process of remembering to thank him, in the process of remembering to praise him, in the process of remembering to say, God, thank you for your love towards me. Thank you for your kindness towards me. Thank you for my family. Thank you for what you've given me. Thank you even, God, for the struggles that I'm going through because it prepares me. When we remember to thank God, it reminds us who God is, and it helps us then to to stay alert or aware of what is going on around us. I am convinced that the key issue, as it was last week, it is this week, the key issue with why we struggle to stay on mission is not about personality. It is not about about embarrassment first. It it is simply that we do not yet realize the greatness and the goodness of the God we have been charged to declare. We don't understand how amazing he is. And so when we live, when we devote ourselves to prayer and we stay alert, 
when we give regular thanksgiving to God, it reminds us, as we talked about last week, that, that God is good. And so I want to say first that Paul gives them, says to them, stay alert. To pray and stay alert, it is the way in which we tune in to the concept of, of, of mission. It is, it is kind of the, the first step. If we are regularly praising God, it, it, it raises our, 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 um, our desire to, to praise Him more. When we are praising Him to Him, it raises our desire to praise Him to others and, and to declare His goodness. And, and the alertness works in a way that it makes us in tune with the way God might see things, and it also makes us aware of those who might need him. So we are to pray and stay alert, or, or I titled this when I was writing uh, an outline, we are to tune in, that, that to pray and stay alert is to tune in to mission. It is to begin to be aware of what the mission is and who the mission is about. And so prayer and thanksgiving then becomes central. Paul then says in verse 3, once you've tuned into mission, you're praying to stay alert. At the same time, pray also that God may open a door to us for the word. So you, there is, after we prayed, after we're, we're, we become uh, alert, we're aware, we're giving thanksgiving to God, it is appropriate then to ask him, once we've tuned into mission, for opportunities for mission. In this case, the Apostle Paul is asking the Colossian church to, to pray that they might have open doors. Paul is a, is a missionary. Uh, he is, uh, he is the, the preeminent writer of the, of the New Testament. He wrote the, the majority of, of the books. He's probably the greatest missionary in, in, uh, in history. Uh, there is probably a distinct sense in which all of us in that we know Jesus can be attributed to the mission efforts of, of, of Paul. But he did not do it on his own. He did not, uh, he was not supernatural. It was not by his own power. We tend to think of people we read about in the Bible as sort of heroes doing things that we could not do. That is, that is common. Think about it. We enjoy various things in, in, in culture. We enjoy various things in, uh, in, in life. And so sometimes on TV, I like to watch things on the TV that are, that are different than what I could do and different than what I am able to do. The Apostle Paul is not writing to talk about mission to pump us up to, to watch or to, to, to see or to, to elevate him above. The Apostle Paul writes about mission in a way that reminds us that we are all capable of the same mission. We are all capable of, of the same sorts of things. And so in as much as Paul says says to pray for open doors for him. If the Apostle Paul needed to pray for open doors, how much more uh, do we, not writers of Scripture, also need to pray for open doors, not only for ourselves, but also for each other. We need to develop a lifestyle of regular prayer on mission, regularly going to God and saying, Lord, open the door that I might speak to this person. And Lord God, open the door for my, for my friends who also know Jesus. Open the door for the other people at, at Crosswinds. Open the door that there might be opportunities to declare the goodness of God. At the same time, uh, verse 3, at the same time, pray also that God may open a door to us for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul's in, in uh, 
in prison again when he, when he writes for, for the cause of the gospel. But I want to remind us that, that, that the mission is supernatural and that we should be praying for open doors, not only for ourselves but for one another, that, that, that prayer is, is answered and that if you ask regularly for God to give you opportunities to share him, I don't see any... Uh, uh, any suggestion or any idea that God would deny this prayer. And so if we're not praying this prayer regularly and we're followers of Jesus, maybe at the heart of the issue is that we're afraid the door will be opened. We're afraid that God will open the door and we'll pray. we're afraid that we'll have to speak his goodness. And then that goes back to the first point, which is that we need to be alert, uh, praying and th- giving thanksgiving and reminding ourselves regularly in prayer, how good God is and how much he deserves to be declared. So at the same time, pray also that God may open a door. I call this looking for opportunities for mission. So we need to tune in to to mission. And how we tune in to mission is we realize the greatness and the goodness of the God whom we are on mission for. And we do that through prayer and thanksgiving, regularly praising him for who he is. Then we are to pray for open doors. This is looking for opportunities for mission. And so Paul is asking the Colossian church to pray that for him because Paul was looking for opportunities for mission. We should be asking that of one another. Pray for me that the door might be opened for me. And we should be praying that for one another uh, and asking people to pray that for ourselves, that a door might be opened. Give me opportunities for mission to my neighbors, to the people who live across the street and to the people who live on the sides, to the people I work with, to people in my family. Lord God, give me an opportunity to speak of your goodness to them. You are so great. Give me an opportunity to speak your greatness. So we are looking for opportunities for mission. And then in verse 4, Paul says this, so that I may make it known as I should. Uh, That continues what we're talking about. In verse 5, he says, act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how, how you should answer each person. So we're to pray. Uh, we're to pray and give thanksgiving, which makes us aware of mission. We should also be praying for opportunities for mission. But once we get get into a situation where we get to speak the goodness of God, Paul's going to tell us how we should do it, and he does like this: act wisely towards outsiders. Uh, my in-laws have had forever a a cottage in. Um, in Greenville, up on Lincoln Lake. On the way driving up there, you pass two churches. Uh, uh, you pass other churches, but there's two churches that anybody ever notices. And, and these churches are noticeable because they feel like the best way for them to share Jesus is to write the rudest, most awful church signs that they, they can write. And so uh, regularly they would have, have, have signs up that would just... Uh, say uh, say terrible things, essentially uh, casting all kinds of aspergences on any person who drove by. Uh, it, it, was if, it was if the sign said, you know, driving by, you're awful, you're the worst, you're going to hell. And then they'd put a verse on there as if that was, was going to reach people. And then there's, you could, once you pass that one, ironically named Victory, 
named Victory. They spoke very little of victory. It was a lot of beating people down. You're terrible for this reason. You're terrible for that, that reason. If you drove a little further, you would pass another church, and their, their way to be on mission was, was regularly to put up signs to argue for the preeminence or the, or the greatness of the King James Bible, and how if you weren't reading the King James Bible, you were then not as holy as they were. Now, if you don't get that example, don't worry about it. It's not important. Uh, they're not right. Uh, but, but it was interesting that the idea was that if I put up a sign and I say something awful on my sign, in their head, they seemed to think that they were on, on mission. I remember once that same group got into a, into a parade, um, and they're not Amish, but they do dress like they're Amish. Uh, and so they got into a parade, and they were walking alongside their float uh, singing hymns, which that's the part I don't have a problem with. But then they would yell out verses, and the verses were, 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 in, um, were, were in such King James language that, that they, they had them written on the back. And you would read it, and you're going... I'm not sure that I understand. I had to look up the verse that they had on the back of their float in another version to figure out what it meant. And the verse that they chose in, in, in the float, confusing though it was in kind of an old English sort of writing, what that thou, that thee, that, the, confusing as that was, I looked it up. What was worse when I found it is that the verse was a verse of, of judgment that they had chosen to enter the parade and put up a verse of judgment and to, and to go down the middle of the road in Greenville and say, say, hey, all of you guys, you're not as good. Be judged, which is one way to go, but I don't think the way that they should have gone. I remember another church actually closer uh, on Alpine that would regularly do sign evangelism outside, and my favorite one ever on there was that they would just put up random sayings, and then they'd put a verse. For instance, one time they put up a sign that said, what about deficit spending? And then... <coughs> What about deficit spending? And then they put a, a list of verses. <coughs> and I always thought it was interesting to think, do they believe someone's going to go by, look at their deficit spending sign, go home, read their verses, and go, you know what? They're right. Deficit spending is wrong. I assume they thought it was wrong. Uh, uh, deficit spending is wrong. I need their Jesus. I don't think that that's what's going to happen. So I tell you those stories to make simply this point, that some people think they're about the business of sharing Jesus, and, and it's not a wise way to do it. It's not, making, it's not acting wisely towards outsiders. There's a way to act, and there's a way not to act. I, I found this in, in the social media world, and sometimes I have to explain because Sometimes what I do in social media, especially with, with things like, like Facebook, is that I have a lot of people who don't know Jesus on my Facebook feed, and a lot of what I say is towards them. And I'm for healthy discussion and all these things, but sometimes I'll say something that I feel is innocuous. I'll give you uh, uh, an example. Libby uh, shared how there's a lot of changes in the, uh, the political immigration climate in, in our country. She's a middle school counselor at, at Godfrey Lee. One of the things that's happened is, is that middle schoolers, especially in a predominantly Hispanic uh, community, in a community where it's about 85% Hispanic, have become very fearful that their, their parents are going to be deported. And so Libby simply shared, you know, just pray for me. I've got children coming and crying. They're afraid that their parents are going to be deported. It's awful because they were in crying. And someone jumped on. The first thing they said was, well, are they legal? 
not the, it's not the right question. And not only that, is that the people who said that were, were people who, who claimed to be believers and followers of, of Jesus. Now, I, I don't really care about the political opinion attached to that. I don't. What I really care about, though, is, is this the wisest way that we might interact? And I'm using uh, Facebook as, as an example to a larger, larger thing, but is are our interactions the wisest way? Are we acting wisely towards outsiders? And so sometimes I've had opportunity where a discussion will pop up and I'll see a believer attacking an unbeliever uh, in a way that's not important. I'll just message them and say, listen, could you just kind of chill? That, that person's not a believer. I know them in real life. I have a relationship with them. I'm trying to share Jesus with them. Could you, could you not, not jump in like that? And and amazingly, even in that one, directly, the person said, well, they needed to know what I had to say. It's really disappointing. I just don't think it's acting wisely towards believers. And my point's not about Facebook, but I think that happens in real life, too. That we say things and we, we express ourselves in, in various ways, and we act unwisely towards believers with our speech. We act unwisely to, uh, 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 towards unbelievers with our actions, right? It is, it is foolhardy to suggest that you are going to be mis- on mission for Jesus. It is foolhardy to suggest that you are going to share Jesus. It is, it is foolhardy to suggest that, that people are going to want to know your Jesus if the Jesus you know does not affect your life first. And sometimes one of the ways I think we act unwisely towards towards unbelievers is that we want to share the gospel with them, but we don't want to live the gospel ourselves. We don't want to be transformed by the gospel in our own lives. We don't want to do right. And so our speech, our actions, the things we do are essentially pagan, but we're telling pagans that they need Jesus. And the pagans should rightly say, why? You don't. And so one of the ways we are to act wisely towards believers is to act, unbelievers, is to act like we actually follow the Jesus we claim we believe in. And one of the big problems I know, especially in our, some of our communities, and I'll just take a, a brief parenthesis on this, is that, is that in our communities, meaning communities that, that, that ascribe to, to, uh, to a, a, a form of theological reform thinking, to communities that believe moralism is one of the biggest scourges on, in the church, to communities who, who, um, who, who believe that we don't earn our way into relationship with Jesus, we sometimes get moralism confused with holiness. And moralism and holiness are two different things. Moralism is the idea that you, in behaving in the right way, can make God love you and care for you more. That's moralism, and it's a damnable lie. It has killed the church. There's all kinds of people who are going to hell because they were taught to behave right, but they never met Jesus. That is a problem. And so if you ascribe to moralism, right, as we sometimes, I think Bradley said it a couple weeks ago, I say it all the time, moralism as we shorthand, I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. I don't dance. That's an old one, but I grew up very Baptist. We also didn't go to movies when I was little, right? If you don't do this list of things, if you don't do that, then God will like you better. He'll love you, and you might be saved. That's moralism, and it's never saved anybody. It's the opposite of the gospel. The gospel is you're a sinner. God is good. He rescues you, but holiness and moralism are not the same thing. The God who has saved you, we forget that as, as, as Calvinists, or reform people sometimes, that the word of God says, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of the Son. 
that holiness is an expectation of those who would follow Jesus. If it's not, then the Holy Spirit himself, who is the one doing the conforming, does not have the power. If the Holy Spirit is God and he is the conformer, then people who know Jesus become like Jesus. And so one of the ways we're unwise is that we call everything moralism and we refuse to live like a follower of Jesus while at the same time expressing with our lips that other people should follow Jesus. They rightly then would say, if you don't, why should I? We are to live wisely towards outsiders. Act wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. It is a temptation to waste time. My, uh, my long background, I, uh, I coached football forever. I'm back to coaching football again. But I remember in the younger days, one of the things is I am a young pastor, but I'm also coaching football. Uh, football coaches uh, uh, sometimes uh, like to go out after games, and, and uh, especially when they, they were younger, and they, they like to... to um, I'm going to use the term party because I, I think that's the way you say it, but they like to go out and they like to drink and they like to get wild and they like to do all of this and they like to laugh and they like to rip on each other and all this. Thing. And there were certain aspects of that culture, that not the drinking part, uh, I found out a long time ago that if you go out with a bunch of people who are drinking and you don't drink, you get free pop. So that was, I was, uh, I would go out and enjoy a lot of diet cola with these guys. And there was aspects of it that were enjoyable. At the same time, I wanted to be on mission. The reason I coach football, the reason I do school board, the reason I do all of these things is that I'm on mission for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I would go out with these guys and it would be tempting to never confront, to never stand up to, and to never say anything about the situation, to never speak into it. It's interesting that in all of that, that at the time when I should be using the time, sometimes I fall into the temptation and just goof off and have fun and, and enjoy it. But that is not my calling. And we get it confused because God never called us to say, make sure you have the most enjoyable time. Make sure you have the most fun time. Even when I was not directly sinning, which I don't believe I did, there were times when I was not making the best use of that time. And so I needed a reminder that my friends, though they seem to be having fun, and I seem to be enjoying their fun with them, that they, even in the midst of it, were not enjoying. I remember one of the times, one of the people I coached with, I'm very close with, said to me, Man, I know it looks like I'm having fun when we go out and they drink like that. And I know it looks like I'm having fun, but it's not that fun. It's just that, like, like it's, it's, he said, social drinking. They said, well, social binge drinking is just a huge part of my life. And it was. His family did it. Coaches did it and all of that sort of thing. And so that's a reminder is why, what was I there and what was I called to? Uh, these are good friends of mine. These are people I've routinely shared the gospel with, people I continue to share the gospel with. But there's a danger that I love them so much and their company so much that I didn't want to speak truth into their situation for fear of destroying or ruining my own fun. That's not necessarily the best use of the time. Am I making the best use of the time? And so my point here is, is this, is, is that you have a, a, a calling to act wisely, but in acting wisely, are you making the most of the time? Are you speaking what needs to be spoken? Are you saying what needs to be said? Paul's assumption here is that time is short, right? Paul, eschatologically, or, or as toward the end times, believed that Jesus was returning soon. It's been uh, a couple of thousand years since then, but the reality, though, even though Jesus did not return soon, there are people Paul knew that, that were going to wake up 
up, and there are people Paul knew who weren't going to wake up the next morning. The reality is we never know what is next. And the, re, uh, the, the, the reality is that this breath that we have in our lungs, this existence is, 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 is short term in comparison to all of history. We only get so much time and none of us know exactly how much time that is. And the people you know and the people you're with and the people you care for, your family, your friends, your neighbors, people who need Jesus, their lives could be short. Their lives could end tomorrow. They could close their eyes, go to bed, and for some reason not wake up tomorrow. Time is short. Now, I told you last week there's not pressure on you because of that in this sense because all that God wants to save, he will save. Your job is to declare the goodness and the glory of God. And so there's that. But in the same sense, because of obedience, we should be declaring regularly the goodness of Christ, making the most of the time. Act wisely. Make the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. I sort of hit that earlier. I see that a lot of times in social media, but I've seen it face to face. Um, uh, I, I remember reading about uh, these, these campus preachers who would walk around campuses like Michigan State carrying large crosses, and they said they were doing uh, open-air preaching. But I remember reading in the newspaper one of the things that this, this open-air preacher said to a, to a woman that I can't repeat in my sermon because it was so rank. It was so gross. The, the names she called and the things she said, that's, that's not seasoning our speech with salt. The other thing about seasoned with salt uh, when he says season with salt, it means two things: to make it interesting, to make it to, uh, to make it spicy. Uh, 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 in in this this phrase is is common in, in the ancient world. It is true that salt is used for preservation, but uh, so there is that sense to it. But predominantly, they mean make sure that your 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 speech is seasoned with salt, so that it that it that it's it's interesting enough to be heard, or it's true enough to be. To be life-changing. Know what you're going to say and make sure that what you say is, is appropriate. That is sometimes hard for us, and that's just a, that is like uh, the, the phrase I think in our culture is salt of the earth. You know, it's just such a, such a gritty suggestion. That's what that is, and it's using salt as well. It's saying, hey, when you speak to people, don't speak in a way that you think you're so high-minded that you're going to make the most amazing argument, and you're, you're talking about like, you know, uh, the, the second law of thermodynamics, and you're talking about, you know, all of this stuff and physics and all of these arguments, and, and that person's like drifting off. There's points where people need to hear that because that's, that's what they need to hear. But your speech should always be gracious, right? Is our speech always gracious when we're doing evangelism, when we're sharing Jesus? Is it kind? Is it loving, right? And is it seasoned with salt? In other words, are you saying the appropriate things in the appropriate way, in a way that's going to connect with, with people? Or are you just saying the things that you want to say because you're grandstanding? Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person, right? You should work, and I should work to understand the basics of the gospel and how to communicate that gospel with, with a person. If you've met Jesus, you should be able to say, hey, you need Jesus, and here's why. And you should be able to tell your story. I've been through this, and here's how Jesus transformed me and explained that you were once a sinner, but Jesus, in his goodness, rescued you from your sin. You should be able to explain that Jesus never sinned. He was God in the flesh, 
uh, he, was, he was the son of God sent by God to be God in the flesh, but also fully human to die on a cross in our place to take away our sins so that we who were sinful and destined to death might, might watch Jesus go to death so we might be given life, so that we might encounter him, so that we might know him, that we might be rescued by him, so that we might have a relationship with him and so that we might praise him all of our days. We need to be able to clearly communicate and answer each person. And so when it says answer each person, the people are going to have different issues and different ways of viewing it. And they're going to have answers. Okay, well, if Jesus is, did this, what about this? And you need to be ready to answer that and say, okay, I hear that, but this is why that happened. The way you do that is to study God's word and to know Jesus better. And if your person, if your person you're trying to share Jesus with has specific questions and you can't answer them right away, you just say, you know what, that's a great question. Let me look into it. Let me study a little, and I'll, I'll get back to you. And then you go back, and you study, and you come back, and you graciously share with them what, what you've learned. But we need to be prepared and ready to share why Jesus is good news. It is one thing to say he's good news, but we need to understand why he's good news. And sometimes, in the ultimate sense, in that Jesus shares, uh, saves us from our, our sin, from our past, from death, from hell, from all those awful things. In that sense, that's, that's good news. But you also need to understand in the midst of a person's life why that good news speaks directly to them. That is gracious speech, seasoned with salt, answering each person. That's what we're called to do. And so, and so the, the point here is that, that if you want to get your boots on the ground and you want to be on mission, you need to pray with thanksgiving regularly. You need, to, you need to make sure that your heart is taken over by the greatness and the goodness and the all-surpassing value of who God is. At the same time, you need to pray for open doors, both for yourself and for others, so that God might give opportunities to share Jesus and who he is. And then having done that, once the opportunity comes, we need to act wisely towards outsiders, make the most of the time. Let our speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, practical, helpful, useful, true, so that you might know how you should answer each person. May God work in all of us. May God strengthen us. May we pray for each other that that might be true. May we, may we work together. May we encourage each other. I will pray for you this week. I commit to it that God would give you open doors. I pray that you would do the same so that I might have opportunities for the word. I will pray that each of us grows in, 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 in our understanding of who Jesus is and our holiness and how he would call us to live so that we might share and always be prepared to give an answer. Pray with me.